Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. It is Tuesday, February 19th, 2019. Thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate you being here. For those of you just tuning in, we are now doing three hours of Left of Straight Radio every day from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We just finished with Standing on Our Soapbox with my co-host, Craig Hurley. It's our daily uh, rant, rave, review show about politics and pop culture. So uh, looking forward to that. But welcome to the Left of Straight show, guys. I have an amazing show ahead of you today. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to have actress and comedian Margaret Cho on. And then in our second hour today, Broadway producer and entertainment consultant Cody Lathan will be calling in. So fantastic show. If you happen to miss yesterday, we had a great time with power couple Jason Caceres and his fiance Christian Lopez. They talked all about their acting careers, and they're both influencers on social media. Had a fantastic talk with them. And then speaking of social media, my second guest was Matt Scalarid. He's the president of Pink Banana Media. They do fantastic social marketing and uh, all sorts of banner advertising, and so many things to get your LGBT business organization or company out there. So it was a great show yesterday. You can check out the podcast at all of your favorite podcast distributors um, for the individual shows. We do um, iTunes and Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, of course here at Blog Talk, Radio Spreaker, all the regular events. So be sure to tune in for those. You're not going to want to miss them. Um, I found out some more information today on the Big Gay Road Trip coming up in June. I am going to be taking the show for four weeks live to Palm Springs, California. Our first show will be Monday, June 3rd. We'll be doing live shows every Monday and Tuesday through June 25th. We're going to be there for uh, L.A. Pride, a whole bunch of events down there. i got a lot of great um, guests to be announced pretty soon. We're going to have a big crowdfunding campaign for the to take care of expenses for the drive there and back while we're there. So a lot of stuff happening with the Big Gay Road Trip. Look for stuff on the rollout March 1st. It's going to be a lot of fun and a lot of ways you can participate in it. We're going to be trying a couple new things to add even more varied guests than we had last year. So it's going to be a lot of exciting stuff going on. Let's jump into the news a little bit, things that got my attention. I was talking to Brandon Carmody. He's a good friend of the show in Portland, Oregon, that I had on as a guest a couple of weeks back. He does his own radio show, GBC News. And I guess they're having a lot of trouble up in Portland right now with attacks on the LGBT community. They're having a, a couple of instances happen back-to-back in there. They're... Um, they have what's called the Q Center there, which is their LGBT center. And the Q Center put out a, a bulletin just the other day. It says the leadership of Q Center is deeply troubled about several reports in the past weeks 
of violent attacks against the LGBTQIA community, uh, particularly trans and gender nonconforming individuals. Several individuals have reported being attacked and beaten by a small group of assailants. Given the rise in hate crimes over the last two years, it's been a 17% increase uh, in 2018 compared to before our current administration. We know these attacks are an extension of previous attacks um, by color, by white supremacist groups who continually target marginalized communities. Our community needs and deserves better. The Q Center will be hosting a town hall on Sunday, February 24th at 6 p.m., in partnership with Basic Rights Oregon, Pride Northwest, and Vancouver USA Pride, uh, also with um, Greater Portland Trans Unity and PCC Queer Resources Centers. So they have lots of good community resource organizations down there. The town hall will provide an opportunity for the community to get together, hear from victims and leaders, and to voice your concerns. There will be no law enforcement presence event. They're also going to be live streaming portions of the event on their website. So um, sorry to hear this is happening in Portland. So be sure to reach out. If you're listening in Portland, Oregon, please um, know about that. will be this Sunday. They're having a town hall. Uh, you can check it out on the Q Center's Facebook page. And portions of it will be live streaming if you can't make the uh, event in person. So thanks to Brandon Carmi for pointing that out for me. Um, what else in the news? I did read um, about a couple, Bailey and Samantha Brazel. They're a lesbian couple, married last July. Um, they're in my neighboring state of Indiana, right next door to Ohio here. They went to get their taxes prepared. Um, Bailey has used the same person for the last four years, and their tax person refused to file their joint return as a married couple based on religious grounds. Uh, Nancy Five Coach, she's the owner of Carter Tax Service in Russiaville, Indiana, told that the problem was not the Brazels being gay, it's being married. She, she has religious objections to same-sex couples being married, even though it is the legal law of the land now. Unfortunately, Indiana is one of those states, like Ohio, that has no state protections for LGBT. Some individual cities do in Indiana, as does Ohio. But um, hopefully this is going to be challenged. Hopefully um, this person will be called out. Carter's Tax Service in Russiaville, Indiana, shame on you. Nancy Fivecoat, um, been doing the taxes for this person for four years and all of a sudden refuses to do it on religious grounds. That burns my britches, I have to tell you. I'm not real happy to hear about that. Um, what else is going on in the news here? Um, airlines are getting ready to start giving customers non-binary choices under gender instead of male and female. The airlines say they're making changes to be more inclusive in dealing with a diverse population of travelers. Found that very positive. Uh, business owners are fighting to save the last LGBTQIA black club in New York City. Uh, I think especially important to talk about here in Black History Month. Uh, Brooklyn's Club Langston, which its owners say is New York City's last black gay-owned bar, has been a safe space for queer black men for nearly two decades. And it finds itself um, 
having to shut down. It doesn't give all the reasons why. I haven't delved into it too much. But we hope that doesn't happen. Uh, also in the news that I'm going to research a little bit more, um, the school board in Virginia may end transgender bathroom ban. If you guys remember, we talked about Gavin Grimm last year. He sued his former school district for nearly four years after it banned him from using the boys' bathroom. Brandon is trans and ended up graduating before he won his case. But the district may be finally giving in across the state of Virginia. So I find that very exciting as well. So a lot of stuff in the news, but I want to get ready here and have um, Margaret Cho on in just a couple minutes. We're going to play a song from American Myth. This is Anna Nicole. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on Blog Talk Radio. When we're back, we're going to be talking to Miss Margaret Cho herself. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Here we go. Thank <laughs> you. 
All righty, guys, we are back. That was Anna Nicole from my first guest, making her fourth return to the Leftist Straight Radio Network, and I'm so grateful to her for doing it. She's an icon in both comedy and the LGBT community, from stage to the small screen, movies to music, and advocacy to fashion. She's constantly touring and can be seen in my neck of the woods this week in Liberty Township, Ohio, near Cincinnati, and she'll be back in Ohio into Columbus next month. We'll all get the pleasure to see her again. She's been busy producing and directing some fantastic projects and even snuck into our TV screens this winter in the reality competition of all things. Please welcome back to the show the amazing Miss Margaret Cho. Margaret, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming back on. I always love talking to you. You're, you always have your fingers in so many things. Um, you're always uh-huh. in so many places on tour. Where are you calling in from today? It seems like sometimes it's where in the world is Carmen Margaret Cho. I know. It's always crazy. But actually today I'm in Hollywood, which is um, where I live, which is great. So it's nice to be home for a minute. And um, I'm headed out this week back to the road, so I'll be um, near, sort of in, in Ohio, and near near your country, around there um, in Cincinnati. There you go. I love it. Yeah. yeah I also have to start by giving yeah. a little shout-out today. I was talking to my buddy this morning, who you happened to be his date for the uh, WGA Awards back when he was nominated for Roseanne's kiss but Stan Zimmerman and I, and I are really good friends and we were talking this morning wow. he had to say hi he wanted to say hello small world that's so funny yes he's he's awesome I haven't seen him for a long time he is a great friend of the show we are going to in fact I'm bringing the show um I started last year doing a road trip I called it the big gay road trip and last year I went to Palm Springs for the month of August and just about melted in the heat there but took the show there for some live interviews and I'm doing it back this month in June. This year in June, I'm going to be back for an entire month of live shows in Palm Springs. So Stan will be down to that. But he wanted to make sure he gave a big shout out and said you were a fantastic date for the WGA Awards a couple of years back. So yeah, it was quite a big long time out. ago. Now this was like talking like 20 years almost. It's great. That's so funny. That's, it had to be. That's true. It was Roseanne's uh, lesbian kiss episode, and you said you guys were even neighbors. Yeah, kind of sort of neighbors at the time. That is yes, awesome. Yes, yes. We were living, living close to each other, but that's so great. I love it. Well, let's jump into it. I want to start with um, some talking about loving you and some pictures lately. This photo shoot by Sergio, Sergio Garcia is amazing. So sexy. Oh, thank incredibly you. styled. Talk about that shoot. You're in so many outfits. How long was that session? That had to be forever, but you were gorgeous. It actually wasn't very long. You know, he shoots really fast, and I had a lot of different things, and I had uh, my team with me to help me out, and uh, we had a really good time. But, uh, yeah, I like those a lot. It came out really nicely. You look amazing. I mean, the styling was fantastic. Thank you. You look gorgeous as ever. Did you have a favorite? You were you were everywhere from camo to a leather cat suit to sequins <laughs> and kind of an ice skating outfit. It was kind of fun. Yeah. I like the cat suit. It's um, actually vegan leather. It's from a designer friend of mine um, who does this wonderful line called Le Col de Femme. And I, I really love her. And um, it, to me, I love it. I love a cat woman, like 
Avengers, Diana Rigg kind of moment, you know. That's really my thing. Right. So it was really great. I love it. Look amazing. Then you've also been having a lot of fun photos on your Instagram with Ronald McDonkey. Those are just – how fun are those to do? Those are just so stylized themselves. Oh, he's so good. He's, he and I um, got to meet in person over the weekend, and we just had a blast. I mean, I think he's so talented and so hilarious, and it's really given my Insta a boost. So we, we have a really good time. They are some fun photos. I got to say, I love it. I love I love stalking Instagram when people have fun with it. And you have a lot of fun on your Instagram, so that makes it really cool to everyone that follows. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, Thank you. You're very welcome. Let's uh, jump in a little bit and get um, politics out of the way because you and I are both very active in politics, and you're such a great advocate for so many causes, LGBT, homelessness, and so many things. How have you been coping with the last two years and – who are you looking for to bring us to a different direction, hopefully, in 2020? Is it the year of the women finally? Well, you know, I hope so. I, I love Elizabeth Warren. Um, Kamala Harris is great. Um, AOC is my hero. Uh, that, you know, she's really, like, injected so much into politics, and it's so exciting now to watch her. Um, and I think, like, you know, it's just what's great about – now is that there are so many progressive voices who are really, really determined to make change. And this is a good time. I mean, it, it, it's like, it seems really difficult sometimes, and we've been through a lot, but I feel like we're on the other side of it, and um, things are going to change. I think so, and I hope so. I mean, we've seen a lot of things roll back in the last two years, and I'm, um, I think we're, we're trying to hold our ground with voices such as AOC and all these people out there, I think that we are going to finally um, claim back some ground again. I'm, I'm very honored. I get in two weeks, I'm going to have uh, Pete uh, Buttigieg from South Bend, Indiana, who's running as the first openly LGBT candidate. He'll be on the show in two weeks. So I'm looking forward to okay. talking to him. But everyone is so well-spoken, and I think they're really articulating their views and where we really need to see the country at right now there's a lot of hope that that had been lost and I feel like we've regained it. And it's, it's really, um, I think it's about, about uniting again, you know, and trying to figure out some kind of common ground where we really are like, like we just want the good for the country. We want good for ourselves and for our homes and our families and our cities. And, you know, I just, I don't like this really like divided Feeling. I don't think it has to be like that. And um, I'd like to see more unity and to figure out where that's going to be. Exactly. I love that. And, I mean, you've used your advocacy for so many great things, like I said, with uh, honoring Robin William with homelessness and everything for LGBT. Where do you see um, politics and celebrity kind of coming into play? I, I remember a couple of years ago we had a fantastic group of people go through town, do a cross-country tour for a lot of the progressive candidates. Do you ever see yourself doing something like that politically um, for politics for the sake of politics? I would love politics? to. Yeah, I would love to. Oh. I did a lot of that for Obama in the beginning, and that was so meaningful. You know, just at the beginning of the campaign trail in 2008, and then also again later for Hillary Clinton. And I just really – 
I just want to be able to, to do that kind of stuff. You know, to me, it's really important. It's really invigorating. And I, I get a lot of satisfaction from it. So hopefully there will be more to come. Awesome. I love hearing that. Well, let's jump into some things. You've been doing so much, like I said, since we last talked. I want to talk about some of your executive producing you've been involved in. Um, last year you had a, stuff, a lot of stuff on your plate. You were working with your team uh, with uh, Katie Malia with her web series Almost Asian, trying to develop that with IFC. I love the web series. Talk about where that's at. Has there been any movement on that? Or talk about and let people know what it's all about. Well, it's a, it's a show that is about the um, Asian-American experience from somebody who is biracial, which I haven't come across before. And Katie uh, is an incredible talent, and people can watch the series on YouTube now, but we're developing um, for her. And it's just amazing to work with somebody that is just so brilliant and so amazing. And so I'm looking forward to seeing that on TV soon. And then also Mercy Mistress, which is another show that I – and uh, working on it's uh, a web series, and we're trying to develop that for television. It's an Asian American show about a BDSM, I guess a, a, a practitioner, a, a, a dominatrix. Who um, it's a true life story, and this woman wrote her memoirs and and really talked about her experience as an Asian American dominatrix. And now we've taken those memoirs and created a series, and that's also watchable on YouTube. And we're taking that to TV as well. So there's a lot of things happening. You know, I want to create um, a place for Asian American artists to express themselves and to create and, and grow. And so we're looking at a lot of Asian American influencers, actors, writers, uh, people who are out there creating their own content. And it's, it's really amazing what's out there. It, it is really incredible that able, you have this, production company you're able to do this for and I think it's so important when there's so many scattered sources of entertainment now that you really try to find these niches and I love how you honor um, people of Asian descent being Korean yourself and everything. It really kind of helps bring a spotlight on it. Um, talk a little bit more about Mercy Mistress. I saw the entire series. Um, Yin Q and Poppy Lu are two incredibly people just in their own right. Um, how did you guys end up coming across each other? We um, we connected and over this project, and it just seemed to me like the perfect thing. I really wanted to get involved, and I was really really excited about their drive and their um, ideas. And it was just a natural fit, and it it worked so well. And they did such a great job, and they crowdfunded that entire series. And so now, you know, we just want to take it to the next level and get it out there and see what it'll do. It's, it's really amazing. And it's a world that we're not familiar with in the term of television. I mean, of course there's like movies like 50 shades of gray, but I don't think that's the kind of uh, experience that I've had within these worlds. And most people haven't had that within these worlds. I think that the um, alternative sexual communities that exist are really fascinating and, and really amazing. And is a long tradition of, these kinds of groups in the gay and lesbian world. So this is like a, I mean, it's a wonderful project to showcase all of the people and the diversity that, that exists within the gay community. 
I love that. And I think you're right. It's so great to celebrate all the diversity in all the communities. And they raised $77,000 from people in that BDSM community and supporters of it, which is amazing in and of itself. Uh, you had a great party for it at the Museum of Sex. Talk about having that there and how was the party? Well, they were so great over there. I mean, the Museum of Sex are, are really real champions of the cause and they, they really they love us and they know what we're doing. So they gave us a space and we got to throw the party there, which was like the perfect place to do it. And we just had a blast. I, I'm really grateful to them. And um, yeah, Poppy and Ian are, are really, truly, they're really remarkable. And so, you know, I think that television is ready for that voice, for that image. I think it's great. Nice. I love that. And and I remember back 2015, you've always been very open, Sector. You were on TLC show all about sex. Um, you seem so comfortable in your body now, and you haven't been in the past. You had a lot of stuff happen, obviously, early on. We've talked about it in previous shows. How freeing, though, is getting rid of the stigma with such thing as Mercy Mistress and things like that? You seem to really be comfortable in yourself now, and you've always talked about these stories. But are you seeing it, people well, opening think, up even yeah. more now? Yeah, and it's about getting older and, you know, you realize, well, this is, this is it. You know, this is life. And you've got to just accept and, and, and get on with it and get, get on with enjoyment. I mean, it's really, you, you know, when you get older, you realize it's weird how, like, life is really short. And, and you don't have that much time. You can complain all you want, but really you should just get down to business and enjoy yourself. Very, very true. I love that. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk all about um, The Mass Singer, which I thought you were fantastic on. You've had a couple of shows you've been directing. You're still on tour. Guys, we're talking to Margaret Cho. We're going to play a little bit of one of my favorite songs. It features um, good old Leslie, ne or Leslie Jordan. I almost said Leslie Nielsen there. From Ron Cutty <laughs> DUI. We'll be back on just a couple of minutes here on The Left and Straight Show with Margaret Cho.
All righty, we are back. That was my guest today, Margaret Cho with Ron's Got a DUI. Margaret, you surprised us all on a reality show of all things. It's nice to see you back on TV. I need to talk about this masked singer. How did this come about? And what got you uh, able to go on that show? What got you excited about it? Well, I love singing. You know, it's always a part of my life. It's always been a part of my life. And it's something that I'll always do, you know, to me that I'm always interested in. And um, they approached me to do it, and I was really excited. Um, What's great is the songs that I sang, uh, Heartbreaker and Time After Time, were songs I already sing in my repertoire. (laughs) So it was like an appropriate thing that I got to do it. Um, Cindy Lopper even gave me a vote of confidence about it, and and, uh, it was great. It was really fun. I love my costume. I love the show. Um, it was hard to see with those masks on, so you can't see anything. And it's that hard to hear, too. So it's, yeah. a, it's a bit of a challenge. Yeah, a challenge to sing in it. Because um, your spatial awareness is very off, and, and that actually is very important when singing, uh, I think. So there were a lot of challenges, but it was still really exciting and really fun. Well, I enjoyed the hell out of seeing you on it. It was so much fun. I have to brag that I didn't think it was you from the second episode. I told all my friends. Um, I love the clues. I love you representing with LGBT and all the other parts. Um, but just because I listened to um, your album so many times, when American Myth came out, I listened to that a jillion times, and I kind of got your voice a little bit down, your patterns. Uh-huh. and it's just been kind of fun. Now, was it really you didn't know who the other competitors were at the time? No, and or I still don't know. I mean, we didn't we didn't see each other at all. Um, that was something that they kept us very separated um, from the other, other masks. Um, we didn't have any idea. So that was really a surprise to see everybody else. Um, so, yeah, they kept us very secret. Now, is it is the filming over? Do you know who everyone is now or not yet? No, no, not yet. Not yet. Even even after, um, thing, you know, the people would get revealed, we didn't see it. I mean, unless you were physically there, it was still hard to see. They kept us away from each other, so we didn't know. Oh, that is so funny. Oh, I love that. And I love that Ken didn't know Ken John, of course, one of the – host on it, um, who you played his sister on. He didn't have a clue. That had to be kind of fun pulling one over on him. I know, and I thought he was going to know because we know each other very, very well. So that in itself was, I was taken aback by the fact that he was there. And it was so funny that he didn't, he didn't know, which I think was like really, they, they really went off like kind of with the guesses. So they were kind of off my trail, which was good. But it was pretty. It was pretty scary. Like I was like, "Oh, he's gonna know." It was hilarious because, like I said, I thought from week two, and I thought, "How could he guess spelling and not know Margaret Cho? Something was wrong with his picture." Yeah. I thought it was very it's funny. funny. Um, are you surprised? But he was how pretty much off. The, he was way off. Are you surprised at all the fan following? It's got really popular. And I mean, there's guys, there's audio guys now trying to slow down your voices and try to undo the. The voices now, it's gotten to be a really science for everyone that are really addicted to the show. I love it. I mean, I think it's what's needed. You know, we needed something really uh, glossy and fun and really, like, 
different, and this really fit the bill. You know, this is perfect. All right. Well, I want to see what your guesses are compared to my guesses here for the remaining five we have. Um, who do you think the peacock might be? Gosh, um, I don't know. I mean, my guess is Donnie Osmond. Is it really? Okay, that was kind of brought up. I kind of agreeing with the Neil Patrick Harris crowd with all the magic and everything uh-huh. and the performing, but it could be just about anybody. I think you're right on that. Um, what about the rabbit? I have no idea. I really don't know. Oh, people, I mean, are, people are saying Joey Fatone because they're saying boy bands. We had a big clue this week with uh, no strings. He said he's cut the strings. So everyone's thinking someone from NSYNC. And I think, like I said, mm-hmm. Joey Fatone's the big guess there. The bee seems like it's going to be an incredible reveal that she is just a diva in the industry. Do you have any clues on who the bee might be or who you want it to be? Well, I was thinking Dionne Warwick. That's a good guess. A lot of people are saying like, Gladys Knight and Patti LaBelle, but I love Dionne Warwick. Because it is someone who's been in the business a while. Or Chaka Khan. I would love to be Patty LaBelle personally. Yeah, I love Patty LaBelle. That's a good choice. I like that. Um, Um, I think, yeah, or um, Cece Peniston. I don't know, like, the soul, like, the soul dynasty. Like, Sissy Houston. Right, right. You know, you could go look into all of the soul dynasties. I do think it's got to be one of... um, that family of, of singers. Sure. And then the lion has got to be a singer. I mean, it's a, it's a good singer too, but I haven't got a freaking clue. It's with the whole country background. I'm thinking it's Leanne Rhymes just because there was a blue something on there. I remember her singing blue, but do you have mm-hmm. any clue who lion might be? I love that. I costume. don't know. You know, that one is the costume is beautiful. It's very Versace. Um, you know, it's so, it, I have no idea. I can't tell, you know, that, that one is like stumped me. Um, I did think that like before I did kind of guess it was, uh, the Raven was Ricky Lake. Oh, did you? Cause you seem to have, yeah, I really felt like that, that she had, she had such a, um, musical comedy background to kind of her voice that sound and, um, also, right. you know, talking about her tragedies, which I think was very uh, apparent, you know, that, 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 that was very clear to me. Um, I didn't believe that. I, I was, like, really shocked that it was LaToya Jackson. I thought that was going to be Paris Hilton. I kind of, they kind of convinced me that because when she – um, the judge's name all of a sudden, the one on the end that thought it was LaToya the whole time because you remember the snakes. But I was going for Paris Hilton, too. I was very surprised on that one. Yeah, that really surprised me. And also Denise Richards surprised. I thought it was Denise Richards. I thought it was going to be not Tori Spelling. I thought it was it was right. thought to be Denise Richards. So yeah, with the clues, it was heading that way. I was very wrong in my early guesses. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, the monster, I have no clue who that is still. I, don't, I can't even have a guess on that. It's been so I don't over know. the charts. He's so good, That's though. Crazy. I love the monster. The monster is uh, my favorite. Well, I just want to say it's been it was great seeing you on the show. Do you are you guys invited back for a big finale? Can you share that at all? Are we going to see every all twelve of you back or not? 
Oh, I don't know. I hope so. That would be great. <laughs> I don't know. That would be amazing to have you guys all back on. Yeah, I big sing, sing along, big choir. That would be cute. There you go. I love it. Yeah. All right, well, I want to go into <laughs> a couple more projects. Um, you recently directed a show for the LGBT Center a couple weeks ago in L.A. Uh, with your longtime friend, Celine Luna, who I got to see open for you when you were here in Pittsburgh, and we got to meet. Thank you for letting me go backstage. Of course, it was the Pittsburgh Improv, so I think it was a closet, but we got to all talk for a couple yeah. of seconds. Tell me about this show. Tell, tell everyone about Celine a little bit and this great show back on February 2nd. Well, it was great. Um, it was uh, her first comedy special, and it's really great. It's really funny, and it's the first comedy special by a female little person comedian, which is incredible. And so, you know, that's really powerful and, and exciting, and, and I, I think it came out really well. We're in the editing process right now, which is really cool. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be um, – you know, coming out there soon. Um, I'm not sure exactly timing-wise, but it's, people should be looking for it. It's really good. Well, she is hilarious. Um, her memory foam bit has me in stitches every time I hear it. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing the full special. I think people are going to be surprised how many things she's been in in the past. But just her comedy, it's going to be fun to see the comedy. What was it like to direct another comedian's show? Have you done that for other comedians do you how is it with your process for your shows no this is the first time I've done it and so it was new for me you know and I loved it I mean for me it was really exciting um and since I've made so many specials myself I knew exactly how to go about it and so that that was you know great to use my experience in that way but she did a great job and I'm really looking forward to people watching it all right, well, let's finish up here with the tour. Like we said, you have been touring for a while. We're still on the fresh off the bloat, right? Are you still trying out new material yes. at different cities? Or we'll talk about the tour a yes, little bit and, and what people can changing. expect. It's always growing. It's always changing. You know, I've been a comedian for 36 years. And so, you know, the <laughs> journey is, is, is really, you know, empowering and exciting. And it's what I love to do and what I'll always do. I love it. Now, you, like you said, you've been doing this a long time. You've traveled forever. You've been in places um, that most people wouldn't think of. What has been your favorite club to perform in? Do you have a favorite that you it's like a go-to when I'm booking? Please make sure I'm booked at such and such. You know, I always love San Francisco. It's where I'm from. Um, and I think, you know, in general, it's any comedy club. You know, to me, comedy clubs are really – the the place that I thrive and so any place that, that is like a comedy club or San Francisco or you know that kind of setting is, is where I love to be and with all the travel I mean it's got to be some funny so I remember when you were coming to Pittsburgh your plane landed like right before you got there um, has there been any, any near misses or near emergencies before going on stage it's kind of fun to look you know, back on you know we're pretty now. lucky we're pretty lucky, you know, like it hasn't happened where, you know, we've been really super like missed out on things, you know, and I think like uh, fortunately it hasn't happened yet, but I'm always aware of that. I try to get to places early enough where nobody has to worry because I 
I would hate to miss it. So no, no, nothing too bad. Super duper. Um, well, like I said, let's talk about some of the club dates you have coming up. This Friday and Saturday, you're in Liberty Township, Ohio, which is down near Cincinnati. Next month, Columbus, uh, L.A., and Tacoma, you are going all over the place and racking up those frequent flyers next month. Um, Orlando in April, Nashville and Indianapolis next door in May. So it's got to be a lot of fun to do this tour do you have any creature comforts you take with you to make you feel at home? Do you have anything that you have to take with you when you go on tour? Well, I think um, probably uh, will be my new dog when she comes. Um, so that'll be really special. I've never toured with a dog before, so that's new, exciting. Um, and uh, that's about it. I mean, I'm pretty low maintenance, and I'm on tour all the time. So it's never anything that I, I don't get homesick or I don't I don't feel like, I uh, miss out on anything. And part of my life is really traveling. So it, it's something that I, I'm very comfortable with doing. Nice. And talk about any upcoming projects that you can share yet. I know it's always hard in the entertainment business to talk too much about what's coming up. I saw something about playing a, a fairy gay mother or something for a Friendsgiving. Can you talk about that or any projects coming up we can get a little oh, yeah. insight that, into? that. Um, that was a really fun movie that I got to do with Kat Dennings and uh, Fortune Feaster and uh, the wonderful Wanda Sykes. So I don't know when that'll be out, but that was really fun. We played gay fairy godmothers, which is hilarious. How fun. Anything else we should be on the lookout for? Um, I have, my episode of High Maintenance is on right now on HBO. It was it premiered on Sunday. And um, so that's really good. I play a very uh, butch, uh, a butch lesbian in a very um, uh, kind of like a May-December romance, which I think is really different and fun. So that's on. And I'm also <laughs> on the show Miracle Workers with Steve Buscemi and Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, nice. That'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, track. I think that's, that's coming a, up next a pretty week. good write-up. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Margaret Cho, thanks so much for coming back on the Left of Straight show. We always love to have you on here. For those that have been living under a rock, please remind them where they can find the website and the social and all that fun stuff. Okay. It's uh, Margaret Cho, uh, uh, margaretcho.com. I'm at Margaret Cho on Twitter and Margaret underscore Cho on Instagram. Amazing. Thank you, my friend. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I love it. Have a very safe tour. I will see you in Columbus next month. Um, stay on the line for me, okay? Okay, thank you. All right, guys, we've been talking with Margaret Cho. We're going to take a little break here, play out to uh, Margaret Cho. got a, she's got a great um, recognition on the song for I Want to Kill My Rapist, a whole story. You can check back on our last interview when we call back a little bit, we're going to come back with Cody Lassen, fantastic Broadway producer, done so many great things, and he has the upcoming Tootsie coming on. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Made it 
All righty, guys. We are back. I always love talking to Margaret Cho. She is just so cool. Greatest person on the planet. Um, we're going to be back in a little bit. We have Cody Lassen calling in for our second hour here at 6 o'clock. Uh, I'm going to play a couple more songs here. Take a quick restroom break, to be honest with you. I had a great pre-tape interview the other day with Matthew Stern. If you're not familiar with Matthew, he is a singer-songwriter out of Canada. Uh, one of his videos for One More Night was featured on Queerty over Valentine's Day, the gay website Queerty, as one of the top 12 uh, most romantic songs featuring a same-sex couple. We had a great interview last week. He'll be on in just a couple of weeks. We'll play that interview. But uh, has some fantastic music. you got to go check out Matt Stern Music, and uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised. So I'm going to play a little bit of Matthew here, and in just a few minutes, we're going to be back with Cody Lawson from Broadway. You're listening to Left to Straight Show right here on Blog Talk Radio. We'll have two back-to-back songs here. Here is uh, You're an Animal, and then we'll be playing Keep Me, uh, Keep Me Awake. i 
can't hold on, it's gonna hurt me But letting go is hard to do And though we chose to do it perfectly I'm plagued with thoughts of losing you I'm plagued with thoughts of losing you I'm plagued with thoughts of losing you That was Matt Sterling. Keep me awake. Guys, Cody's having a little trouble calling in. We're going to play one more song. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Broadway producer Cody Lassen. This is Matt Stern one more time with Your Magic. You are the best thing. You hold my heart inside your hands. Your magic. You make me crazy, your touch, it makes me lose my head, it's tragic. It's all over, that's what you said, it's all finished. Gonna lean back and tell your friends. They can leave when they want to This feeling has gone to your head Nobody but me Sees you like I see you Nobody can see You like I do Magic, yeah. you are the best thing you hold my heart inside. 
All righty, guys. We are back. That was Matt Stern with Your Magic. All right, guys. Uh, y'all know I'm an adopted wannabe Broadway baby, so I'm so excited to have my next guest on the show for the very first time. The shows have grossed over a half billion dollars and climbing on Broadway, working with such amazing theater as Death West Theater's Spring Awakening with one of my crushes, Andy Mientas, of course, Porch Song Trilogy with another crush, Michael Yuri. She anticipated Pussy will in March. He's a Tony winner, nominee, and has a bevy of other awards to his credit with a lot of the shows he's been working on. And he's also an amazing consultant to major studios, other producers and theaters, and he helps them market and achieve success in their own shows. We have a lot to talk to him about, so let's bring him on. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Cody Lassen. Cody, how you doing, sir? Wonderful. Thank you for the very flattering introduction. Well, you've had a very flattering career, my friend, so I appreciate you coming on. I'm excited to be able to talk to you. I try to get to New York City as much as possible to see theater, and I have a lot of great friends in the business, so I appreciate And you're calling in from the theater right now. How's it going? What are you working on? Uh, I'm working on a new Duncan Sheik, Stephen Sater musical. That's the team who brought us Spring Awakening, um, based on Alice in Wonderland, the Lewis Carroll classic book, not not the Disney movies or the TV shows or anything like that, um, and directed by Jesse Nelson, who was the book writer on Waitress. Um, so a brand new musical, and we our curtain is in about about an hour, but I, I found a quiet little nook in the theater that I'm curled up in now to talk to you. Well, thank you very much for that. I was going to talk about that later. I appreciate that because that does sound like an amazing project. I want to start, uh, like I always do with my new guests, please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, though. Where did you, you grow up and what got you interested in the entertainment industry? Um, I grew I was born in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and grew up kind of in that area, about an hour north of Chicago. Um, went to school, undergrad in Chicago, went to grad school in Indiana, so definitely of of the Midwest, um, but pretty quickly moved out of there after school and uh, went headed to the West Coast, to Los Angeles, um, and worked for a, a variety of entertainment companies out there, NBC Universal, Nielsen, um, Center Theater Group, kind of the big nonprofit theater on the West Coast. But I've always, always been interested in live entertainment since I was a child and saw Cats on tour, which I think is a lot of, a lot of people's first show I've discovered. Um, but I've always been interested on the business side. I know. I've never wanted to sing or act or dance. Um, I was always interested in, you know, who shot the TV commercial, who sold the tickets, who created that special effect. Um, even even as a child, that was kind of what I was interested in. Nice. Well, you know your lane, my friend, because you're doing it very, very well. Uh, you've been a huge advocate for our LGBT community. Um, you talked about NBC Universal. You were part of that team to really grow their diversity and make them one of the best places to work in the LGBT community. Talk about when you first came out to yourself and when did you come out to others? Um, you know, I didn't kind of have a big coming out moment like most people do. I think I always knew I was gay, and I think even before I told people, most people assumed that I was. Um, so I don't have kind of a big <laughs> dramatic moment. You know, it was one of those things like it wasn't just kind of, there wasn't a proclamation in, in middle school or high school, but there certainly wasn't uh, a shyness away from it. Um, so I wish I had like a big emotional juicy story behind that, but unfortunately I don't. Um, but yeah, there's been a, a passion of mine and, you know, I like to tell people, even if you don't 
care about equality and inclusion and acceptance, which you certainly should, um, but even if you don't, it just makes good business sense to reach out to, you know, all these different audiences. Everyone wants to see themselves, whether it's on stage or, you know, on screen or on TV. Um, so it's, it's just a smart business move, and hopefully you're doing it for the right reasons, but that's my, my plan B pitch for the folks who don't buy in for the right reasons. There you go. Very well said. And look, Let's go into the to the politics side for just a second. I mean, you've been a huge advocate, but you also served as vice chair for GLAAD. I mean, we've endured such a backslide in LGBT rights since this administration took over. Um, we got we talked about laws on my show last week about being proposed in Kansas and Tennessee. Um, what should we be doing now as a community to make sure these rights are not really rolled back? And what are you looking forward to happening, hopefully in 2020, to claim a little bit of this back for us? What is GLAD doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the sad thing is there's a lot of progress to be made. And I think for those of us that live in major cities, you know, if you're in L.A. or New York or Chicago, your experience is much different than if you're in a small town in the Midwest or the South or even the suburb of one of those big cities. Um, and still, GLAD does a, a big um, poll every year with Harris Poll tracking acceptance of the LGBTQ community. Um, and still about half the people in this country are not comfortable with their child having an LGBTQ teacher or doctor or having their coworker have a picture of their same-sex spouse or partner on their desk. Um, so there's, right. there's certainly a lot, of, you know, a lot of work to be done. We've come a long way. Um, I, you know, I think the best advice I could give anyone is get involved, and that doesn't necessarily mean you know, throwing fancy fundraisers and raising a lot of money. It's, you know, run for your local school board, run for your city council. If you don't have the, the, the time or the, you know, the desire to do that, support the people who are really, especially in smaller communities. Um, these small local races are a probably going to affect your life the greatest in the short term. Um, but B are kind of the, um, you know, the incubator for folks who will eventually go on to become, you know, city and state and regional and then eventually national leaders. Um, and I think that's one thing we could be doing a lot better job of is kind of, you know, who are the next rising stars? And I don't mean the people running for president in, in two years. I mean, who are going to be the, the stars 12, you know, 16 years from now? And what are we doing right now to support them and make sure their voices are heard? That is great advice. I love that. All right, well, let's jump into the fun stuff now. I want to start uh, talking about your work at the Los Angeles Center Theater Group. I am a huge fan of the Mark Taper. I told you I grew up in L.A. I'm so old, my cousin was actually in the Fantastics when I wasn't very old at the uh. Taper. I've seen so many productions there in Amundsen. Never got to see anything in Kirk Douglas Theater yet. But talk a bit about working for them in that theater group there in L.A. Uh, yeah, I mean, out, outside of, um, you know, Lincoln Center and Roundabout in New York, they're the nation's largest nonprofit theater organization um, with the, the three theaters that you just mentioned. And I, what I particularly love about them is kind of the mix of big, broad commercial work that attracts, you know, occasional theater goers to really groundbreaking, fresh, raw, intimate, you know, 99-seat black box theater. Um, it really runs the spectrum. There's not a lot of theater companies that do that. Um, and, you know, it, part of the reason they can do that is because they can have, you know, Dear Evan Hansen playing in their, in their big house, and that can, you know, financially support some of the smaller, riskier things that they do in their other theaters. But just, gosh, the shows that have started there from, you know, Angels in America going forward to, you know, many other, you know, especially LGBTQ-themed shows, 
um, that started in L.A., which is actually a great theater town, and I think doesn't ever get the credit for that. Um, and I think part of that is the community is just spread out, right? If you go to Boston or New York or Chicago or most other major cities, there's a theater community that's defined more or less by geography, right? The theaters are in a certain part of town. The rehearsal halls are there. Right. The bars that actors and directors and writers hang out at are there. Where in L.A., it's, you know, oh, yeah, you want to collaborate? We'll, we'll schedule that a month from now. We're each going to drive an hour. Is, you know, do we pay for parking? Um, so I think it doesn't quite have the community that other cities have, but there's certainly a lot of great theater, um, again, from small little storefront theaters to big productions that's happening out there. Exactly. So true. And like we were talking off air, um, both of our good buddy um, Stan Zimmerman out there, he told me a while back in interview, there's like 240 little playhouses in L.A. I mean, some of them seat 40 people, but it's a huge theater community out there, really. And uh, it, it, it's really kind of amazing, but they just haven't really brought that all together, like you said, the way New York has. But it, it, hopefully it'll yeah. – I don't know. I guess it's a different thing. They don't support each other as much in L.A. than I see in New York. That's kind of what I get from my take on it. I I honestly think geography is the main, the driving factor there. Um, I think you also have a lot of people whose, you know, reason to be out there, creative folks, is the film and TV world, which, you know, certainly pays a lot better and for the most part is, you know, more more reliable, um, easier hours to kind of work into a life. so I think that has a, you know, both a positive and a negative effect. The positive effect is you can go see some great intimate theater in L.A. with people who have amazing, you know, Broadway and film and TV credits who are, you know, doing live theater for the love of it in between their, their film and TV jobs. Um, you know, on, right. on the flip side, it's, you know, you're not getting these long runs because people are doing it in between their jobs that are, you know, for better or for worse, paying, paying a lot more than the theater can afford to pay right now. Very true. That's a, that's a good point. I love that. I want to jump into some of the productions that you either produced or co-produced, but first give my listeners a quick glimpse into the role of a producer on Broadway. We kind of talked about in the past on my show that in television it's a producer's medium for control, even though there's casting and directing. And in film, producers are the money people and directors are the, the kind of vision there. Talk about what a producer's work is in theater. Um, so think of think of it as kind of the CEO of a startup, right? Every Broadway production is quite literally a new startup governed by the same rules that the SEC has for, you know, dot-com big tech startups out out in California. Um, So it's, you know, first coming up with an idea. And in most cases, that's, you know, finding a writer who has an idea that either is not fully formed or is fully a script, but you're, you're investing in this idea and you're paying, you're optioning to get the rights for this idea of a show. Um, and then you're hiring the team, and that's, you know, the, the director, the designers, the casting director, the advertising agency, on down to, you know, the, the attorney and the accountants. Um, and it's, you know, it's putting together the team that's going to bring this thing to life, which in most cases, you know, the average is about seven or eight years from kind of getting the option of a, a, a script um, to having a production of it somewhere. So this is a long-term investment of, of time and money and, and patience and willpower. Um, but you, every time you do that, you're starting from scratch, and you're literally creating a new business entity and putting together a new team. Um, so I think the parallel to comparing, that, comparing a producer's job to the role of the CEO of a startup is really shockingly similar. You know, it also coming with that is raising money. The producer yeah. is responsible for capitalizing the production. So... Um, I think new producers tend to think that's, you know, the bulk of the job. I always tell people that's actually the, the easiest 
part of the job. It's the hard stuff that comes <laughs> after that. Um, and it's, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of management, like, like anything when you're overseeing, you know, uh, a business, it's a lot, as much as I would love to say, I spend my day making creative decisions. It's a lot of people management and risk management and, you know, managing a business that just happens to have a creative product as its end product. Gotcha. Very cool. I'm glad the way you were explaining that. It was fantastic. Well, talking about things that didn't take quite as long, I want to start with uh, your Deaf West Theater revival of Spring Awakening in 2015. Not only was it landmark achievement using spoken word and sign language, but it went on to get so many nominations and awards, including like 15 nominations and six wins for the Ovation Awards, Tony nominee, a special champion of change award by the mayor of New York City. It went from regional theater to Broadway in an unprecedented 366 days and even performed at the White House. Talk about that experience and bringing that show to life. Started, um, you know, another big part of producing is kind of identifying and nurturing and creating relationships with um, you know, new talent that you want to work with. In that case, Michael Arden, um, who I think is a brilliant director, started his career as an actor, but is now mostly directing. Um, I wanted to, you know, be in business with him at some point in the future. Um, and his publicist, Jeff Ballard, is a mutual friend. And he had been telling me for years, you know, the two of you need to do something together. Like, you're going to hit it off. You have the same aesthetic. Like, you need to make this happen. Um, and it was one of those things that, you know, we were ships passing in the night. We would chat at events, but never really, you know, work on anything. Um, and finally, right. Jeff texted us both and said, here's the deal. I know you're both going to this event tonight. You're going to get breakfast beforehand, and you're going to talk about doing a show together. And if you don't, I'm never going to mention it again. Uh, so we, we got <laughs> together for breakfast, and Michael pitched me this idea of doing Spring Awakening with a, a cast of half-hearing people, half-deaf people. Um, and I thought, well, that sounds like that could be either like the most complicated, ridiculous concept ever or the most brilliant concept ever. Um, and we did it in a tiny 99-seat theater in Los Angeles. Um, you know, I was proud of it. It was a wonderful work of art. But to be honest, that was more about building my relationship with Michael Arden than thinking the show had a future. Um, and Deaf West Theater, of course, was producing it. I was the commercial producer joining them. Um, David Kurz is the gentleman who runs Deaf West, also just a brilliant storyteller and creative. Right, right. Um, and from the moment we did the first run through, even before our dress rehearsal, I like, oh, this this will be on Broadway. This is something that needs to be seen by a wider wider audience. Um, so we had the creatives come out and and give us notes while we were still in uh, you know a tiny theater, literally on Skid Row in Los Angeles, to the point that you know audience members' cars were being broken into at night, and it was not necessarily the our, our prime choice for theater, oh, but we took what we could get. Um, and then transferred it to the Wallace Annenberg, which at the time was a brand new theater in Beverly Hills, um, a really wonderful facility, a new, you know, kind of state-of-the-art theater in Southern California, which we haven't had for a while, um, and sold out that run. And, and then there happened to be an opening in a Broadway theater, and we, we kind of kept going. We'd, we never said no and never looked back. That's fantastic. I love it. I've heard – so I have a lot of friends that went and saw it. I didn't get a chance to go see that one. A lot of great things told about it. Again, like I said, I know Andy Mantis went in, which was one of my crushes, um, but great experience. Talk about uh, the play Indecent for a second. That was based on a controversial play at the time of, on Broadway in the 20s. 
I went on to be nominated and winning Tony Awards, though, for the 2016-17 season. What was the indecent like to work with? Uh, you know, that was an interesting situation. That, that was a project that I did not get involved with until the 11th hour. Um, I went to their opening night wow. off-Broadway at the Vineyard Theater, um, a great nonprofit that does really bold new work, um, and completely fell in love with it. It was, you know, I'm drawn to both the subject matter of kind of LGBTQ history and moving that story forward, but also just the most moving, emotional night I had had at the theater in, in literally years. Um, and it's this mm. fascinating story about this play from, you know, the very early 1900s that was actually the first same-sex kiss on Broadway. It was two women who, you know, were in love with each, with each other, and there was a, a love scene of the two of them. And at the time, that was so scandalous that literally on opening night, the city raided the performance during opening night, shut down the performance afterwards, and arrested the entire cast um, for indecency Crazy. because, you know, God forbid you have two women, you know, share what I'm sure was a passionate kiss, but right. not anything over, overtly sexual. Um, and so it's kind of telling a much larger story about what are, what are artists willing to do to get their art in the world and to tell their story. Um, and so I won't say more than that in case people want, want to watch it and there's some twists, you can catch it um, on broadwayhd.com, which is kind of the, the Netflix for streaming Broadway shows, um, and I believe also pbs.org. Um, but I fell in love with that on opening night off-Broadway, and at the opening night party, kind of half and just asked the artistic director, oh, you know, who who has the rights to, to transfer this? I, you know, maybe I can help them raise some money for the show. Um, and they said, no, when would you like the rights? And I said, yes. Uh, and that was, you know, after a few glasses <laughs> of wine, and in the, in the morning we confirmed that, yes, both of us did indeed um, in, intend for that conversation to happen. Um, and at the same time, Daryl Roth, uh, who's a, a friend and colleague was, you know, had a very similar conversation. And so the two of us paired up um, to, to move that to Broadway with the, the entire cast and creative team intact. Um, and just, again, a fascinating, both the true story of kind of the people in that time period that the play was set, but then the true story of the actors um, who did this on Broadway originally. It's, it's kind of a hard show to describe. Uh, I'm not quite doing it justice, but a, a great moving <laughs> night at the theater. Um, and written by Paula Vogel, yeah. one of, you know, one of the best living playwrights there is, uh, you know, Pulitzer and every other award under the sun winning playwright and out lesbian woman. Um, and, you know, uh, just truly one of the best writers of, of our time. That's amazing. I love that. Um, I was going to take a little break here, but I'm not going to take a break just because I know you're in the theater and have stuff going. So we're going to continue on through, if you don't mind. And so we can get out here before the curtain rises. Um, but let's, I want to move on to The Band's Visit, which is a play I did get to come out to the city to see. It's one of four musicals in Broadway's history of winning the unofficial, what they call the Big Six. It's got Best Musical, Best Book, Best Score, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Director. It also won a Grammy for Best Musical Theater Album. Tell me about that journey. It was an amazing, I got to tell you, I loved every second of it. Uh, yeah, so that was, um, uh, again, another colleague and friend, Oren Wolf, uh, produced that. So we have, um, you know, kind of a distinction in the industry. There's a, a producer of the show um, and then a small group of co-producers. And to use my startup analogy, think of the producer as the CEO and the co-producers as the board of directors. So these are people helping you raise capital and offering you advice and um, 
Okay. You know, again, kind of your, your board of directors. So I was a co-producer on this. This was a show I had been following for a while. Um, and again, went to see it off-Broadway and through some mutual connections, I, I managed to weasel my way into it because at that time it was already kind of the hot, hot show to get into. Um, but again, just something I fell in love with. It's, um, you know, it's almost a play with music, even though it certainly is a musical. Um, but I love a good character study. I don't need crazy plot twists. I don't need a, you know, a very steep uh, story arc. Let me, let me know these people. Let me know this world. Um, that's just kind of my own personal, you know, what I look for in shows. And this, this checked all of those boxes. Right. Um, kind of shocking it had the commercial success. The critical success, I think, wasn't that surprising. Um, but I'm so happy that audiences embraced something which was, you know, not the most traditional storytelling. It was this Middle Eastern music that is rarely, if ever, heard on Broadway. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes in our industry we, we get looked, you know, sometimes people poo-poo kind of the more commercial commercial projects that are based on films and, and TV shows and things like that um, that should exist in the world and that can be wonderful. But I love that alongside, you know, the Frozen's, and the SpongeBob SquarePants of the world that we can have this little show like the band right. that, that, you know, that being the, the sold out show of the season. I love it. I love it. Well, let's talk about Torch Song for a second. It's one of the first, I saw it as a movie first. So it was very young in my gay life there. I'm seeing the movie version of it. And I have seen a couple productions of the play. Yeah. Michael Urie in this latest production and Mercedes rule, who I absolutely adore. How is it to be part of that team? Uh, you know, that was uh, a show that kind of I had no choice but to be involved in, um, in the sense that you know Michael Yuri is a friend and Richie Jackson, the producer, is a colleague I really admire, and Harvey is a, a friend and a colleague and kind of the stars aligned. Um, but even if that wasn't the case and I didn't know a single person associated with it, that story to me is so moving and emotional and upsetting and depressing but also hilarious and funny and uplifting and hopeful um, right. and shocking to me that this was on Broadway 30 years ago literally 30 years ago we had a Broadway show about two gay men living together and adopting a, a son and raising the son who also turned out to be gay um, it, it, it boggles Thank my you, mind Harvey. that yeah. you know yeah right. um, and then how, you know, wonderful how much we've changed in the past 30 years, but then watching this through today's lens, also how depressing, um, you know, so much hasn't changed. There's still parents who disown their children who come out, and there's still gay bashings, and there's still, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, God, we've come so far, and oh, God, we haven't come so far at all. Um, but just a wonderful, yeah. wonderful production of it, and I think it really, you know, it holds up well. It withstood the test of time. Uh I was I was really upset. I didn't. I was going to try to come there when Stan went out, and I just couldn't couldn't arrange it. But yeah, that's amazing because, like well, I said, it's, it's, so... it's coming to the it's coming to Center Theater Group this summer. So if you can get to to LA, um, I believe it's. Uh, I'm not going to say the date because I'll get it wrong. But the end of the summer, I believe it is early fall. Yay! All right, I'm going to be out there in LA already in June. So hopefully, I'll be able to extend my stay or at least fly back. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Thank you. And um, Indecent will be playing at Center Theater Group in June. So you can, you can see all the shows. Oh, that's fantastic. I love this. I did not know either of those things. I did not look up their upcoming things because I haven't, I haven't planned my trip altogether. But I will be – I do what's called a big gay road trip. I did it uh, – last year was the first year. This year's year my second year. I drive here from northeast Ohio 
to Palm Springs, California. I'm put up at the Indulge Resort in Palm Springs and bring all my guests live from L.A. to do the show out there. So I'm really looking oh, forward. Last year, I, I melted in August, but this year I'm going in June where I'll hopefully just bake a little bit. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> hopefully in June it'll be very nice. Closer. We'll see what happens. Um, all right, let's go on to some of the current things or things we have upcoming I want you to go back into Alice by Heart. This is at MCC, right? Talk about how this project came along and give everyone a little update. It's opening this month, right? Just now opening. Uh, yes, we're in previews now. We open on um, the 26th on Tuesday, a week from today. Um, so it's a brand-new musical written by Duncan Sheik and Stephen Sater, um, who together did Spring Awakening, but each separately have also had some you know, wonderful theater out there. Um, it's the story right. of Alice in Wonderland, right? The Lewis uh, Carroll story that we all know, or that many of us know, or read at some point in our lives. But it's set against the backdrop of World War II London. Um, so the show, the show opens with a bunch of children who've been evacuated down into a tube station. This is during the Blitz, during World War II, um, and most of their families and friends have died. Their houses have been destroyed, um, and Alice and Alfred, who are two lifelong best friends um, kind of just on the verge of becoming the age where they're starting to question, Oh, wait a minute. Are we, are we friends? Are we, you know, is there romantic and sexual tension here? What, what exactly is this? Um, and Alfred mm -hmm. is dying. And even though they're too old to kind of be reading Alice in Wonderland, that's the one story they can remember from childhood and to kind of comfort him as he's, you know, quite ill, they're telling each other the story of Alice in Wonderland as they remember it. Um, and magically, everyone, the nurses and the other patients, all kind of transform into the characters of Alice in Wonderland. And so we, we go into that world and that story, um, but it very much becomes about love and loss and grief. And um, Alfred becomes the white rabbit. And as, you know, time is ticking and continues to move forward, he feels he's running out of time. And so it's really about growing up and love and loss and kind of becoming your own person in the world. That sounds amazing. What is uh, what is one of the songs we should be on the lookout for? I, I'm huge to get a cast album. What am I going to be uh, gravitating towards? Um, well, we've released uh, one song still that you can find um, uh, on rollingstone.com and also on MCC's, I'm sure, like YouTube and, and social media channels. Um, everything else, you, you know, you have to come to the theater to see it in person or wait until possibly uh, the next step or a, a cast album is recorded. But it's, um, you know, if you're familiar with Duncan Sheik and, and his work or, you know, the Spring Awakening cast album, it's very much kind of of that vein and a mix of, I think, equal par parts pop music, rock, independent rock music, and, you know, kind of traditional Broadway music all, all mashed up. So this is not, you know, your, your kind of, Oklahoma or The King and I um, musical. This is much more kind of a, a fresh, modern sound. I love it. That sounds amazing. Uh, talk about we have Tootsie coming in March. I can't believe it's taken this long to get to the theater. It's such an iconic film. Um, talk about how that's coming along. Uh, yes, yeah, so Tootsie had their out-of-town trial in Chicago last year that went, went quite well. Um, you know, got great reviews. It's very much an old-fashioned musical comedy. Um, and I don't mean old-fashioned and kind of dusty or dated. I mean old-fashioned in that it's not trying to be hip or self-referential or, you know, of the moment. It's very much you're just going to be laughing out loud the entire time. Um, it's a 
kind of a unique twist on the movie musical, um, which Beetlejuice is also doing, and I find really interesting, is taking that world um, of Tootsie and taking those characters of Tootsie, but creating a new story around it. Um, so it's still about, you know, somebody trying to, you know, get a job by dressing as a woman, but rather than being set in the world of soap operas, um, this one is set in the world of, of theater and Broadway. So, you know, Tootsie is trying to, to get into a Broadway show. Um, and of course, what that brings is now we can have these big, crazy, you know, wonderful production numbers that don't seem like they're coming out of left field because now they're all, you know, in this show with, within the show. Um, so it's still the Tootsie that you know and you love, and some of the beats from the movie are in the musical, but for the most part, um, this is kind of a whole original new story just set within that world and with those characters. I will be there. That is one I'm definitely coming out for. I'm hopefully coming out, if not March, April. I'll be out to see a couple of shows, so I'm definitely going to have to check into that. Um, I want to do a couple of quickies, things that are on the pike possibly down the road here. Uh, I can't believe they're bringing a Saved by the Bell, possibly, you're looking to get together here. That's such a, speaking of iconic television shows in, in an era, that sounds like that could be kind of a fun show to bring to life. Yeah, we just did a reading of that uh, in Los Angeles at the Kirk Douglas Theater. Um, and this is not, you know, there's, there's kind of been a trend of these unauthorized musical parodies, and this is not that. This is, um, you know, with... Uh, Peter Engel, who created the original Saved by the Bell and with NBC Universal. So this is an officially sanctioned, um, you know, legitimate musical version of Saved by the Bell. Now, still, like the source material, very earnest, very true to itself, you know, again, not trying to be kind of a, a hip, goofy take on it. Um, so, you know, imagine kind of the, all the beats of that series that you, you know and you love set to music of the era that you know and you love um, and just kind of a fun night out at the theater. Uh, probably a, a good year or so away from, from announcing a, an actual production of that, but the, the team is hard at, hard at work right now, and it's turning out to be a lot, of, a lot of fun and very nostalgic. I love that. I forget her. I'm, I'm feeling bad that I forget her name right now, but we had uh, one of the original cast members who's a fantastic singer and does a lot of Broadway, and I can't remember her name. I hope uh, she'll try out for something like that because that'd be amazing to see her again. Um, and then Very nice. talk yeah. about my buddy Stan, Stan Zimmerman, of course, is um, he, and everyone I've interviewed, he knows somehow he is, I told you offline, he's the Kevin Bacon of the gay world. He knows everybody within six degrees here. He's got this meet and greet. That's a possibility for coming down. Talk about that. Yeah, I'm cutting through the lobby. So excuse the next 10 seconds of noisiness. Um, we did a reading of that in New York, I want to say a year and a half ago, um, and Stan did a full production of that in Los Angeles maybe two years ago. Um, and that takes place kind of in, in the L.A. world of, you know, auditions and audition hell and what goes on kind of behind the scenes when you're, when you're um, you know, waiting to audition for a part and when you're kind of going up against someone that maybe is half your age and you're not quite appropriate for the role. And I don't want to give it away, but there's a, a very big twist at the end that kind of nobody sees coming. Um, but Stan, I think, is just one of the best comedy writers of all time. And now, now directors, too. Exactly. Well, man, I love going through all this production. I want to finish up with you. Like I said, you also do a lot of consulting work um, for other companies to tell them, how to produce you actually even on your website let people 
learn how to invest in Broadway Productions. Talk about that side of the business. Do you enjoy that part? And talk about um, that part of your business for a little bit. Sure. Um, unfortunately, I can't give specific examples of my consulting because there's always very scary-sounding non-disclosure agreements that need to be signed. Um, but there's probably big Broadway shows that you and your listeners have seen either in New York or on the road um, that I've worked on. And a lot of that is kind of trying to figure out, um, you know, how, how should the show best be marketed? What should the key art look like? What should the title be? What should the television commercials look like? Pardon me. Um, and kind of just setting the show up for, for success. You know, a lot of, historically, a lot of these decisions have been made by someone's gut decision of like, oh, I want this kind of logo, or I hate this color, or I think we should have this kind of advertising campaign. Um, so it's bringing kind of a more of a, a business acumen, um, you know, the same thing that's done in the film and, and TV world, but bringing that to the theater world of, okay, we've got a show, we've got a limited budget and limited time. What's the best way to spend that to make sure that we're reaching um, you know, the right audience for this show and getting people in to buy tickets. Um, and then investing is, you know, a big part of any, any producer's life because ultimately you have, to, you have to raise money to put on a show. Um, you know, your, your average Broadway musical right now is between 12 and $15 million, and that's not, you know, something like Spider-Man goes up to, or King Kong we have right now, you know, well into the $30 million range. Um, so generally the first step when you're looking to produce a show is raising money. And, you know, shockingly for a multi-billion dollar industry, um, Wicked the Musical alone has grossed more than all of the Star Wars films combined. So a very mature, you know, healthy industry, but it's still most of the investors are individual investors. These aren't big institutional investors. Um, for the most part, even the studios, when they're producing, aren't investing the full amount. Um, this is a lot of, you know, retail mom and pop people saying, I love this show, I want to be a part of this show, I want to invest in this show, um, I want to go to opening night in the Tonys, and, and hopefully, you know, this show is a success and is the wise investment as well. Um, I always tell people it's like investing in art. Invest in the show because, like a piece of art, it's beautiful and you love it and you want to walk past it every day in your hallway and you want to show it off to your friends, and hopefully you've done your research and this artist will, you know, continue to rise and, and that will be a wise investment. And I feel like theater investing is the same way. Um, you should do it first and foremost because you love that piece of theater. You want to support it. You want to see it in the world. And hopefully, again, you've done your homework and you've, you've chosen something that, you know, could potentially return profit to you in the future. Sounds fantastic. Cody, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I hope to see you hopefully in April, and I'll buy you a drink at Joe Allen's. Give everyone a quick uh, where they can find you, your website, and any social media you'd like to uh, be followed on. Uh, sure, you can find me at CodyLassen.com, C-O-D-Y-L-A-S-S-E-N.com. Um, and Twitter and Instagram and everything else is just my name, Cody Lassen. So there, there's only two of me, uh, two Cody Lassens in the world, so you can Google them. I'm the producer one, not the one who um, has drug problems and keeps getting arrested. So he, <laughs> it's very obvious when you Google which there Cody you Lassen go. you want. Look for the good-looking producer one. That's what I I always look for the good-looking <laughs> producer you. one when I was doing my <laughs> research. So I like that. <laughs> well, thanks, my friend, for coming on the show. I really enjoyed it. Stay on the line for me, um, guys. I'll be back to wrap things up. Since but we're going to play out to our other Broadway friend. This is Michael Mott, um, and we have uh, Jeremy Jordan singing "Her Embrace" from his show Faustus or In the Light. 
You're listening to uh, the Left of Straight Show right here on Blog Talk Radio.
you guys. We are back. Thanks so much for listening to the Left of Straight show today. I want to give a big shout-out to my guests, Margaret Cho and Cody Lassen. Great being able to talk to them today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for, if you tuned in earlier, to standing on my soapbox. I hope you'll tune in every day from 4 to 5 Eastern time where we'll be standing on our soapbox with my co-host, Craig Hurley, talking about the issues of the day in politics, pop culture, and LGBT news, where you can call in and give your opinions on there. Uh, next week, we have two great shows for you, Monday and Tuesday. On Monday, fresh from being at the Oscars, our buddy Tommy Garossi is going to be calling in, talk about Oscar weekend next, this coming weekend. And then we're going to have Greg Scarnici call in. Greg is a, a associate producer at Saturday Night Live. He has a new book coming out um, that is about his adventures on Fire Island that he goes to every summer. Uh, so that is on Monday. And the next Tuesday... Our good buddy Del Shores will be calling in. He has a new one. In fact, tonight, if you're in the L.A. area, tonight uh, he is filming Six Characters in Search of a Play. There might be tickets available, so look for that tonight. Uh, But next um, Tuesday, he's going to be calling in and talk about a new one-man show he's going out on the road with. And then afterwards, we're going to have Daniel Monks talking to Daniel Monks, who is an actor um, a, disabil- a disabled actor who wrote, directed, and produced his own short film. Actually, it's a full-length film. And uh, it's an amazing piece of work. And we're going to talk to him from London. It's an Australian film. He's now living in London and, and uh, having a great interview with him. So a next great shows next week. All sorts of good stuff coming on. We have, like I said today, Pete uh, Buttigieg, the um, mayor of uh, Indiana, uh, that's going to be that is running for president right now. We have Davy Wavy coming on, the popular Davy Wavy. The gay gringo from Denver will be calling in. So many more great guests coming in the next couple of weeks. Thanks again for listening to the Left of Straight show. I hope you have a fantastic rest of the week. Tune in every day this week at 4 o'clock, except I think we're not doing Thursday, to Standing on My Soapbox, and we will see you next time. Thanks again. Bye-bye.